All right, man. Welcome to the intro to episode 64 Crow 777 Radio Podcast. Jason Lindgren is with me, and we are going to talk about the Orwellian times that are coming into plain view now. I guess we could say uh, something like strange days indeed. Most peculiar mama, as an agent of the system once said, but really, they're not so strange, are they? It's just that we can see them better now. They're bubbling up above the surface. We see the tactics of the powers that be. We see what Google is doing. We see all these things coming just into plain view, no longer hidden or shielded. You know, when I left San Diego, uh, it had gotten to a point when there was never a day when there weren't choppers in the sky, either sheriff's choppers or Department of Homeland Security. Now, there's an idea. Department of Homeland Security. The fatherland, the motherland, Heil, what do we need to be secured from? What are we afraid of? This is a heck of an episode. Jason and I cover a lot of things, and we've made a conscious decision that the things we talk about, the titles we put on our content will not be affected by the censorship, which is becoming more open every day. I talk a little bit about the 40 clips that were flagged in one day on YouTube. Don't care. They can flag every clip on this channel. It's not going to change what we're doing. As a matter of fact, it'll probably have the opposite effect. We will ratchet up, and we will say whatever we want to say, whenever we want to say it. The times we live in can, in fact, be described as Orwellian. The problem here is is media. So many people under the spell of media. You know, in one part of this episode, I covered what my childhood in the 60s and 70s was like, and what a far cry it is from now. And I point out that the main difference is fear porn. When I was a kid, I was allowed to do things at age 12 that a child now at age 12, uh, you would be hard-pressed to find many children in this country at age 12 doing the things that me and all my friends were doing so openly, so freely, um, taking boats many miles to open ocean, being gone all day, no problem. Uh, It was a different time. It was considered that children had far more ability than they do now. And this, too, is a sign of the media times. Um, When we consider what media has become, it's, uh, it's really quite Orwellian, isn't it? For one, it doesn't tell the truth about anything. And the few things that are based in some factual remnant of something that may have happened in this world are littered with an agenda. Um, Even our weather channel is now fear porn. When I was coming up, hurricanes would come. It wasn't that big a deal. We prepared for it. We went through it. We cleaned up after it, and we went on with our lives. But now, uh, if there's a hurricane coming anywhere near land, man, it's fear porn central coming out of the weather channel and every local news station in the areas that may be affected. And this sets aside the idea that weather may be manipulated now. This episode seeks to address the times that are clearly, clearly bubbling up in our face that could actually be described as Orwellian. And it asks, you know, what are you people going to do out there listening? The allegory from the book 1984 is that basically most of the people, myself included, listening to this could be described as the proletariat from that book, which is described as 85% of the population in the supposed Orwell book, 1985. Uh, I take issue with whether Orwell was a real person. That's a pseudonym, by the way, not the real man, supposedly, uh, that wrote that book. But my point here is, um, we talk about this. In the book, Winston commiserates that if the proletariat would just stand up and quit accepting the nonsense that all the crap going on in that storyline would end. Well, it's really no different, is it? But you see, the main thrust of this episode, and I have said this for years, is 1984 was written for a reason. Brave New World was written for a reason. Animal Farm, also attributed to Orwell, was written for a reason. Two of those books, the two that are more at an adult level, are blueprints, blueprints to what we see going down now. And we draw the allegories and we draw the lines in this episode. In the second hour, we cut loose. In the second hour, we have no qualms about what we can say or how we can say it. And while we don't really pull back too much anymore in the main episode because we've made a conscious decision that we don't give a damn about the censorship that's going on on social media and we will do what we do, um, the point here is, excuse me, that 
we really need to start taking a look around and making some hard decisions. Here in the state that I live in, the state of Rhode Island, the DMV is now going 100% online. For those people in other countries, this is the kind of governmental organization that handles cars, licensing, all that kind of thing. It's going wholly online. I noticed in the paper the other day that they are now urging that snow days here on the East Coast for kids, uh, the kids be required to go online and do their school online. And I'm here to tell you, as a person with a degree, a technical degree, woe will be the day when all our goods and services are handled online. At that point, control will be so overwhelming and the lack of human interface so absent as to allow a 1984 to go down in ways never imagined. Um, it won't even be difficult. You will be at the mercy of what you can do at your computer and you will have no idea who or what or how it is being controlled. That's where we are. And that sets aside all the censorship and the fear porn and the, the made-up terrorism nonsense. Um, what's it going to be, guys? Are we simply going to stand up and say, hey, man, we've had enough? This is the, the, the idea here, you know, I hear so many people talking about, oh, we got to fight, we got to do all. No, you simply just have to quit accepting the nonsense. And that's what this episode is about. And we allegorize what I consider to be the blueprints for the modern times we now see, which is basically 1984 and Brave New World. In my view, Animal Farm just shows the methods they use. And in fact, we are the animals in Animal Farm right now. There's no getting away from it. Let's jump in with Jason for episode 69. It's a damn good episode. The second hour is a bombshell. All right, man. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio Podcast. This is episode 69. I have Jason Lingren with me. We're going to address a couple things to include the coming solar eclipse this Monday uh, and a couple other uh, items of concern. But the main thrust of this episode will be covering the Orwellian times we find ourselves in, the book 1984, and also how that may relate with Brave New World and Animal Farm. Um, we're, of course, 33 years after 1984, and uh, well, we'll get into that in a minute. Um, we are truly seeing the emergence of Orwellian ideas and Orwellian processes by the powers to be in our world. But first off, welcome, Jason. Hello. How goes it down there, man? Sounds like you got your internet connection back finally. It only took 11 days, but yes, so we did two shows running <laughs> off of my telephone, my mobile phone, and um, well, it's just been a whole lot of rain lately, but that's Louisiana in the summer. And there it is, man, where there's a will, there's a way, or maybe we should say where there's a will, there's a death, and we'll get to that in a minute uh, since our last episode did cover death, and it was one of the 40 clips that was flagged by YouTube, but first up... Um, I sent you a link. Did you have a chance to see the article that was written on my boomerang clip in the express.co.uk uh, supposed news site? Yes, I read that. And, you know, it was that typical, oh, this man claims to have seen a UFO and caught it on film. But they, they poo-poo it through the whole thing. So it's the typical crap. Well, it's this kind of shows the Orwellian times we're in. I've had a lot of my clips covered in the news, and in every article I am aware of, they embedded my YouTube clip into their article so that at least people can link to me, and at least I get some traffic for the trouble. Um, this guy basically downloaded my clip um, from express.uk or .co.uk, uh, edited it down to what he wanted, um, so he basically took my work, which probably took, I don't remember how long now, but I, if I remember correctly, it may have taken me a couple weeks to film this footage of, of the original Boomerang. Uh, he, he gives no backlink to me, and then he kicks me in the nuts on the way out the door on the backside of his article um, and actually attributes things to me. You know, I leave all my footage up on YouTube so people can see the path that I've taken. But what these guys do is they'll say things like he claims the moon's a hologram. Well, if you get the most recent stuff that I have posted on, on YouTube, you'll see that I moved away from that years ago, but that's not really what they're about. And then they get their expert uh, in this case to say that I have filmed satellites, bugs, birds, and insects. Um, and so just for the record, Mr. Scott Brando, who 
runs the debunking website. I use a Schmidt cast grain telescope. It's not possible to film insects. I can put my whole head in front of the telescope I use to shoot the boomerang, and you do not see a head. What you see is the light dim. An insect, to film an insect with that telescope, it would have to be the size of a bird and many hundreds of feet away, at least, depending on how I have my focal length and stuff set up on my camera. Even birds uh, are see-through or invisible until they're a good distance away from me. So I figured I would just put that out there for the debunker Scott Brando. But anyhow, the guy who wrote the article is uh, John Austin. And while I appreciate him running my content, I do not appreciate him stealing my clip, not linking to me, and then editing it down to what he wants to use. And just for the listening audience, there really is no recourse here because this is all done under the guise of news. So basically, they're stealing content that took me I don't know, maybe a couple weeks to film. I don't remember, but certainly a long, long time. Uh, they're editing it down to what they want, and then they don't even backlink to you. But anyhow, let's move on, Jason. What's next? Oh, um, we should mention, uh, on the tail of the last episode we did, uh, I had 40 clips flagged by YouTube all in one day. Um, uh, let me see here. There was a list that I wanted, just, just to give people an idea. Um, after we posted episode 68, which was titled Death and the Traditions that Shape Our View of Dying, that evening, 40 of my clips were flagged as content not suitable. And uh, just let me give you a rundown, a couple things they thought were unsuitable. That's one of them. We can't talk about death or the traditions that shape our view of dying. Another one they flagged was episode 66, free speech and expression controlled by super persons. Um, they flagged a false news dragging your mind northeast, west, and south to nowhere. The transhumanism they flagged. Uh, of course, the clip I made about YT YouTube jumping the shark for this very Orwellian crap we're talking about was flagged. Encoding ISIS and Egyptian myth into the NASA programs was flagged. Uh, the fake terror stuff, the Western medicine and big pharma stuff was all flagged. People catching on to the age of deception, another year of false flags, social engineering, everything chemtrail is being flagged. Go figure. But anyhow, I won't go through the whole list. I mean, what do you think about all that, Jason? You know, it's not surprising. They're, they've been saying they're going to crack down for ages, and now they're doing it. And I've seen channels that discuss truther or controversial kind of information doing tests where they'll put up something called you know, puppies and kittens and rainbows or something silly like that and say nothing content-wise in the video. You know, they might even just say, well, this is a test. And uh, it still gets flagged immediately. So they're, they're just going after people's channels at this point. They're not... They're not um, doing single videos saying that particular video of yours is inappropriate they're just once they've got you that's it you're not you're not getting anything on anymore well the night they flagged my 40 clips i did post in a couple areas to let people know including on the last clips i had up on on youtube uh people immediately were emailing me and messaging me back saying supposedly there's going to be protests in four cities or something over the orwellian tactics uh google is now moving towards 33 years after 1984 i might add of course um but one needs to wonder um is this just more of the nonsense we saw with the 99% where they staged that nonsense. Um, you know, the very people that were being protested were the people who were behind the whole movement. You've got to wonder what's going on here. But anyhow, Jason, we've got what's probably going to be one of those big markers on the clock in the sky events coming Monday with the full uh, solar eclipse that's going to happen in the United States. So before we jump into the main show, I wanted to talk a little bit about that. And I will open up with saying um, I'm pretty proud of the people who are associating with me on Crow 777 Radio. I can't tell you how many messages and emails I got from people asking if the moon and the sun travel east to west, how is it that the eclipse is traveling west to east? Um, have you thought about this idea at all? Well, just when you uh, sent me the, the links to it, I started looking at it and um... I don't know enough about astrophysics to know if there's a, uh, a, a good explanation for it, but that just doesn't seem – that seems like doublethink almost. Well, it's exactly what it is, and it's not only doublethink. It basically relies on the sheepishness of people to accept what the man in the white lab coat is saying. On the tail of many of these messages, people began to send me clips of NASA explaining why the eclipse shadow 
will travel from west to east. And one of the clips I saw was a real Lulu, uh, basically the claim being made by a NASA spokesperson of some sort was that the moon orbits the Earth twice as fast as it spins. Um, of course, the follower on Crow 777 Radio sent this actually made a little model um, to show that that would mean we would see the moon twice a day. <laughs> um, so you can see the nonsense of it. But what's really ironic is in the beginning of that clip, the person that's going to introduce the NASA spokesperson to drop this nonsense on us says NASA even has trouble explaining how this happens. And uh, all I can say is, yeah, I bet they do. But anyhow, um, let's get to the eclipse that's coming on uh, Monday. Yeah, Monday the 21st here, um, just a few days away. A lot of people wrote me and mentioned that this is this eclipse is coming 33 years after the November 22, 1984 clip or eclipse, uh, solar eclipse. And so I began to look up eclipse information. And one thing that always strikes me is I find varying information and it's always very disturbing. These are supposed to be predictable things. There should be no variance in the data, but I will set that aside for now because um, I simply didn't have enough time to go through and pull out all the, the false stuff that I ran across. There was an eclipse on November 2284, 33 years ago. It was a full eclipse. It was not visible from the United States in some of the sites that I looked this information up on. There was an annular eclipse, and I'll get to that in a minute, on May 3rd in the United States, okay? But um, 33 is gonna become a prominent number in the eclipse that we're about to have, and this is why. The eclipse path will start on the west coast in the 33rd state, which is Oregon, and it ends uh, and it does get to the 33rd degree of latitude in South Carolina. I think uh, if I remember correctly, the town I looked up was Columbia or something like that, which is on the 33rd uh, degree marker. As I was uh, thinking about these ideas, I heard an Audi commercial playing on the television, and I went over and recorded it. Audi is playing a television commercial, which is echoing the importance of this, and I'll get to more of why we know this is an important eclipse to the powers that be. Um, in the Audi commercial, you basically see a shadow moving across the world with all these Audi cars zooming in the lit portion as the what's called the umbra or the shadow would travel across the world as the light hits people on the beach umbrellas open which is interesting um, because the word umbrella relates to umbra umbra is often used when we're looking at like lunar eclipses and other eclipses or the shadows of eclipses there's a whole symbology going on there but the tagline used in the Audi commercial is seize the moment this eclipse is a big deal I'm not quite sure why yet but here's more NASA is going to crowdsource images. Um, so you've got to wonder if this is going to be the loophole out where NASA doesn't provide all the 4K kick butt video that we would expect from a space agency on an event like this. Um, you've got to realize that anyone who is taking images for NASA and sending them in are under the spell of NASA, thinking that NASA is doing the things that it should be. Uh, for those of us that know darn well that NASA is up to nonsense all the time, it goes to show the construct here. But the fact that they're announcing they're going to crowdsource this big all the way across the country, take pictures of the eclipse thing and put together some kind of a video of some sort, I think is telling. Um, there's going to be a television show the night the eclipse happens. So I think on the East Coast, something like 2.40-something p.m. in the afternoon, the eclipse will end where I am. It's only going to be partial where I am. And I will be out trying to film if we're not chemmed out or rained out or any number of things that typically go on here. But um, they're going to supposedly follow the eclipse across the country and film it. Um, there's your message control on this clip. So we'll have, or on this eclipse, we'll have to look very carefully. Um, the show will air on the East Coast, I think at eight or nine o'clock on public broadcasting. Now, just for people's interest who are listening, um, they list four different types of eclipse eclipses. Um, and I mentioned an annular eclipse a minute ago. So I'll tell you what those are. Um, the four different types of solar eclipse is a partial eclipse. No one needs that explained. Basically, what we're told is the moon doesn't cover the whole sun. An annular eclipse is when the supposed moon is smaller than the sun, so light bleeds out all around. Then we have a total eclipse where we are told by some major miracle that the moon at 
roughly a quarter of a million miles is the exact same size as the sun at roughly 93 million miles. Now, there's a miracle of whatever you want to call it. But then we have the hybrid eclipse. And the more I began to look into the hybrid eclipse, and the reason I did is because when I was younger, I don't ever remember seeing the word hybrid eclipse used. But here are the current definitions of what a hybrid eclipse is. And to in my view, it begins to tell the fallacy that eclipses are. And to be clear, I've stated for many years now uh, that eclipses are misdescribed. A hybrid eclipse, also called an annular or total eclipse, shifts between total and annular. So what they're saying here is a hybrid eclipse shifts between what we're told is the moon covering the whole sun to not covering the whole sun. But here's the rub. We have a hybrid eclipse, which was listed on November 3, 2013. That eclipse lasted one minute and 40 seconds. So what they are telling you is that the moon changed size during the course of this eclipse in less than a minute and 40 seconds. Here's one of the blurbs about that hybrid eclipse, which happened on November 3rd, 2013. For example, during the hybrid eclipse of November 3rd, 2013, the moon's distance decreased within the event. So get this straight. They're telling you that the distance of the moon changed enough to matter in a minute and 40 seconds. It started as an annular eclipse, which, of course, I have just defined, means that what we're told is the moon is not covering the complete disk of the sun, which later transformed into a total eclipse without changing back to an annular in the last stages. Um, anyone who wants to think about this will will you know, see the ridiculousness of what we're being told. Um, some, I think I looked up one of the longest solar eclipses. It's two minutes something, or maybe it's right about three minutes. I've forgotten. But anyhow, before we move into 1984, uh, I want to posit this last bit of information to listeners out there. I filmed every solar and lunar eclipse I could uh, while I was still in San Diego, and there were a number of them. The last thing I filmed was a partial solar eclipse. I had been predicting that under the right conditions, the disk of the moon is see-through. I predict that when you are at a new moon or very close to what is called a new moon, if there is a bright object like Aldebaran or some other star, there's not too many bright objects, occasionally Venus, that could be occulted by the moon, I predict that if it is near new, I mean within days of new, you will see a see-through disk of the moon. I further predicted on that last partial solar eclipse that I filmed in San Diego that it was quite likely we would be able to see through the disk of the moon and see the limb of the sun behind it. Many images of this actual event were sent to me on the tail of that eclipse, proving, in fact, that the prediction I made has been imaged more than once, where you can see the limb of the sun through what we are told is the moon. This idea needs testing, and unfortunately where I am now, I've had three shots at occultations that were not too, too far from new, maybe not ideal. One of them was ideal, um, and each time I've either been chemtrailed out or uh, the weather has not cooperated. So for the record, I think there's a real leap forward to be made by anyone out there who can get a telescope on a new moon or very young moon that is occulting a bright object. And when I say bright, you know, the moon occults very dim stars all the time. It's not good enough. We need a Aldebaran. We need, you know, a, a Venus, something bright. But anyhow, there it is. So, Jason, um, sorry to have taken up so much time rambling through that, but I thought it was critical we get through it. Are you ready to do the whole 1984 thing? Because... You know, we're 33 years after the date titled in that book, and we are beginning to see the Orwellian ideas come to pass. Yeah, and nobody's actually entirely certain why he chose the year 1984. If it just seemed like a good amount of time for him to set the storyline in from the events that he had been witnessing in his own time writing it, which was 1948. So some, a lot of people just think he flipped the letters around and said, yeah, that's enough time for this totalitarian state to come in. But... No one's actually entirely sure, so that, I thought that was interesting in, in and of itself. 
Well, I would go one further. Um, you know, how many Winstons do we know from from history? You know, basically Winston Churchill is the only big Winston I can think of. The main character in the book 1984 is Winston, and the cited writing date is uh, 49, which means he must have been writing it in 48, which is the flip reverse of 1984. Um, I will posit this. I suspect that Orwell, which is a nom de plume, it's a pseudonym, uh, it's not his real name, uh, is a made-up character. Um, I came to this conclusion by looking at all the images I can get of him, and it has the Einstein kind of Tesla feel to it where we're looking at a constructed personage. I would further state that everything in this book was put in the book for its intended usage later, and we are now beginning to see these Orwellian ideas bubble to the surface through the Googles and kind of governments of this world, which is what this episode's going to be about. Um, and to put a fine point on it, we know full well that everything we're saying right now is going to be flagged by Google. All advertising is going to be pulled and we don't give a damn. As a matter of fact, every bit of flagging that goes on, the harder we will push um, because they have no right. They have no right to control speech or thought. And that's basically what this episode and this book are about. So I'll let you take it, man. You know, it's funny, um, bittersweetly funny. I've been seeing memes for years that are, say 1984 was supposed to be a warning, not a handbook. I, I think they're wrong. I think the exact opposite is true. I think that 1984 and Brave New World are actual blueprints. And um, to distinguish between the two, in 1984, the book that we're going to mainly cover here, what you see is a lot of uh, kind of jackbooted, um, you know, billy club enforcement. Um, of of the ideas in the book. What you're seeing is people tortured, forced to think, brainwashed, watched every second, just kind of an in-your-face, we'll kick your ass if you don't do what we say. The flip side of that is Brave New World. In Brave New World, people are basically drugged into appreciating the way they live. Um, and, and anyone who's read Brave New World, I mean, they're even – controlling how a person is born, whether you're going to be good looking or have a good job, this type of thing. But nonetheless, both of these books can be reflected in the modern time. After all, modern medicine is basically owned and operated by drug companies. So you can see the brave new world ideas coming to bear, even on every show you see on TV, like Big Bang Theory, where they go to see a psychologist and the first thing they do is push drugs out. Um, this is coming. This is coming. You can see the drug companies queuing up. You can see where our medicine's gone. So the brave new world idea is there. But on the flip side, so is the 1984 side of things. But I thought I would just contrast those two ideas because so many people have, have, I think, wrongly stated that the brave new world idea is what will be used in this part of the world. And the 1984 idea, the jackbooted kind of billy club idea in the communist parts of the world. And I don't think that's a correct assumption. I think we're going to see a mix and match. I do as well. I think uh, it seems like the United States was more brave new world and then the totalitarian states of communist Soviet Union and uh, China had the more 1984 style. And then it seems that they're blurring those now. They're kind of almost swapping them, bringing the more hardcore in-your-face tyranny to the United States and westernizing, if you will, the, uh, of course, Russia has been westernized to a fair degree since the fall of the Berlin Wall. And China, of course, is getting starting to get that as well. Well, by by many of the views we see of China, they're living much better than we are at this point. Um, they're an up-and-comer, and while they are, we are told, under a communist regime, so one person at the top can snap their fingers, uh, you can see the capitalism creeping in. But again, um, this idea of drugging a population into submission, I think that's right on our doorstep. As a matter of fact, there was a Rick and Morty episode not too long ago echoing this very idea where, I forget, aliens or something had taken over the world, and everyone was jazzed because they got a raise or a new position position, a better position every week, not even understanding what it is they were doing, but they were thrilled that they were constantly promoted and doing so well, but they were all paid in pills. And as they <laughs> sat down at the table, um, they were eating pill brulee and on their dish was pills. Um, it's echoing these ideas and there's no getting away from it for, for the average mind that's not out there sleeping through a day. You know, I've never even watched Rick and Morty. Maybe I need to check that out because obviously the writers, whoever is can contributing to the uh, narratives in this cartoon are injecting concepts that are, you know, very real, very important and, and very thought-provoking. 
Well, it's it's well written and it's an insider expedition. Uh, one of the voices from Rick and Morty I recognized in a progressive insurance ad. Uh, people might be surprised to understand that some of the biggest corporations in the world are insurance companies, bigger than oil companies, I read not too long ago. Don't know whether that's correct, but that kind of shows what we're talking about here. Um, it's no different than seeing the Hollywood actors step up to do the credit card commercials. Um, what you're looking at in Rick and Morty is another simple type thing where they pre-echo stuff, where they make fun of things. They've recently talked about 9-11 being an inside job in two recent episodes that I'm aware of, uh, one where Rick is a pickle and another one where he's stuck in a mine machine or something. But anyhow, man, you want to jump into this and uh, tackle the 1984 thing? Absolutely. Let's go for it. So while I'm unsure of the entire impact that the book may have had on its release on June 8th, 1949, which was in the UK. Uh, it was considered a masterpiece by a lot of folks from the get-go. Uh, as a matter of fact, Winston Churchill is said to have read it twice. So there's no doubt that many people have been comparing the situations and events in the novel to what's been going on in our own world more and more as the years have gone by. So the first thing we can really look at overall is that there's perpetual lying that goes on from the government to the population every single day, pretty much over everything. Yeah, I mean, there's no getting away from that. And not only that, as fate would have it, they are playing 1984, the movie, on television right now. And that is always a very telling thing. But here's another thing. I just recorded and watched most of that movie again. Um, I was going to read the book again, but it's so damn depressing. I just couldn't make myself do it. As a matter of fact, I couldn't get through the whole movie. Um, it just gets to be a bit too much. And I've got better things to do with my life than just see that much hatred and darkness. But um, if when I went online to look up a few things about the movie, I saw a listed release date. Uh, on IMDb of 22 March. And that struck me. And the reason it struck me is because there are a few things said at the end of the movie. But anyhow, the listed 22 March release date is, of course, right at the vernal equinox. And we've talked so much about alchemy and all that other stuff. But on top of that, in that same listing that erroneously claimed the release date was March 22, they claimed that it got an 8.4 million box office. And, of course, 84 is again echoed there. As far as I can tell, the true release date is the 10th of October, 1984. But here's the rub. Um, at the end of the movie, they state this verbatim. This film was photographed in and around London during the period April through June, 1984. The exact time and setting, setting imagined by author. So here's what we're being told. We're being told that they filmed this movie April through June 84 and then released it on October 10 of the same year. And by the way, one of the main actors, Richard Burton of Caesar fame um, or Cleopatra, the movie fame and other movies dies on uh, August. Uh, what is it? Fifth which is also probably really the fourth because that would echo the 84 idea again. But think about that. So they film this movie in the area the book is covering in the year it is specifying, 1984, April through June, and then they release it on the 10th of October. I mean, come on, man. What do you think about that? <laughs> you know, it sounds like that they rushed to get it out. I, I don't know. I remember reading an article on uh, the director who absolutely wanted to make sure that it was being released on time to match up with the uh, the beginning, the, I think it's the opening page, in fact, like to make sure all that narrative is, is there and the release time. So I'm a little uh, interested in why they're saying that the, the release times were later than what it should have been. Well, for anyone who's covered this, um, I would urge them to go look up the 1984 movie uh, in the in the data in the movie database and other places, and look at all the production companies and music companies. There's an endless list of Virgin companies involved with it, and just look at how this was put together. How many movies can we point to uh, where this kind of treatment is being done, where it's so crucial that not only do they film it in the place that's being referenced in the book, but during the time period that's referenced in the book, and then kick it out the door a couple of short months later. And by the way, one of the main characters is going to die between the wrap date and the, uh, the, the, the release date. And of course, the box office echoing 84. I mean, it, it's a bit much to accept. Right. Now, the book does open on April 4th, 1984, with Winston writing in his diary. 
the the funny thing, of course, is we don't even know if that's from the narrative's point of view even necessarily er, uh, accurate because as the book progresses, we learn just how much Big Brother, the party, Ingsoc, changes the past to suit its current agenda on a regular basis. So even that data is uh, speculative at best as far as Winston is concerned. Right. But to me, it has intent. I mean, April is the fourth month. So April 4 is 44. We're looking at death stores. And then there's another four in 1984 to boot. Um, We're looking at ideas here. We're looking at ideas and blueprints that are coming to bear in our time. Um, the, 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 The idea of Orwellian is actually emerging as we speak. As we look around over the past few years, as we see what information systems are doing, as you mentioned earlier, how governments and places like NASA constantly lie about everything, I don't think there's any separating what's in this book from intent. I just don't. That's just me. Um, But I don't consider myself a a person who's going to roll over anymore. Right. No, I'm... I totally with you on that one. So in the timeline of the book, nuclear strikes of some sort seem to have occurred around the year 1954. This would have caused a mass worldwide upheaval and then revolutions occurring with countries basically falling apart, a total reshuffling of the deck worldwide with various factions vying for, vying for control of all the land masses. Now, Winston says that he had never heard of Ingsoc before the year 1960. So the victors what would become known as the party or Big Brother, must have achieved their goals of massive conquest between 1954 and 1960 in their timeline. Right, but I will point out one of the big things in this book is that they change the timeline, they change language, they have doublespeak or newspeak, which is basically two ideas that are completely at odds each other, um, you know, and... This is their world. Uh, I reviewed the movie quite critically to the point where it appears to me that there is no war going on at all, that everything is staged. Um, I know other people will have a different view of it. But to me, that seems like the underlying intent, which calls into question what you're pointing out here, whether there ever actually was a nuclear war or whether they just simply can't remember um, that portion of their history anymore. It's a hard thing to know for sure. It seems that there was some sort of devastation because I remember in the book, Winston is does had been walking around in devastated areas that weren't totally cleaned up yet. And, you know, when Orwell was writing this, that was the, the kind of threat because that was fresh in everyone's mind about atomic weapons. And, of course, we've torn that apart. But from any person not knowing what we know, the the threat of atomic warfare would be very, very real and scary. Right. But I mean, that really underscores what we're talking about here. Nuclear weapons are nonsense. Uh, There has never been a nuclear explosion in the way that it has been described in this world. Um, We did this with showing the alchemical kind of nonsense encoding of it all. We've gone through, you know, many of the facets of nuclear of the nuclear idea. And in my mind, if people ask me now what are nukes, I basically say it's heat. Um, that's all it is. And uh, heat to a degree where it, it's not going to do any massive damage in the way that nukes have been described. We've even taken the time to demonstrate that Nagasaki and Hiroshima are complete fabrications. There may have been firebombing. It's hard to know what actually went on, but it was done in the year of the rooster. We tied it to the alchemical means, and that also includes the Bikini Atoll, which was named Crossroads, which on the face of it labels it as an alchemical thing. Um, when you know that nukes Nukes are nonsense. And then you come back to these ideas again. um, It wasn't possible for a nuclear strike to have happened. So how did the place get ruined? I don't know. Did they stage the ruining of it? Did it get ruined over time? Hard to know, although at one point Winston does see images where he remembers the building. So it's just a hard thing to nail down, man. Well, the general take I, I had from it is that World War II just went very differently, you know, just ended up being a much bigger conflict. It, it blew up even more so than it did in the real world and just made it a huge disaster out of everything. And that's how these socialist uh, organizations got controls because somebody had to take control while things were falling apart. That's kind of the way I took it, but that's not necessarily 100% accurate because Orwell didn't state word for word how it really did happen. 
So even if we were to take 1984, the book at face value, saying that it is echoing some real world event, we have already demonstrated that the banksters of this world were funding both sides of the world wars, both times. So in a way, you can demonstrate that even the world wars are staged, crafted events. So again, we're back to, uh, you know, a giant chess chessboard, basically. Um, that's my view on all this. I can't for sure explain how we get the stage set for all the things we see, but it's clear to me that it was puppet mastered all the way through. Yes. Well, there's no doubt at this point that banksters do exactly what you just said. We know this. It's proven. There's documents. We know that they fund both sides of war for their own profit, and that's it. That's not arguable anymore. No, and it demonstrates what war is. Um, you know, if war was such a horrible thing and truly all these lives that might be lost were a concern, then defunding aside is within the reach of what we know is true. And this isn't what we see. What we actually see is people who are related to our presidents, like Bush, funding both sides for steel and other things. Um, this is what actually goes on. And it shows the complicit nature of the people who run our world with the kind of major events. Uh, that we have explained to us in an unrealistic way. No, it's profiteering on a very large scale is what it is, and they, they just rinse and repeat that over, I don't know, 100 plus years at least. Yeah, it's almost the 9-11 idea, isn't it? You know, I had someone post on Crow Triple Seven Radio um, an idea about what 9-11 means uh, in a way that I had explained before, where basically in a normal numerology setting, you would count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. When you get to 10, the zero and one are added together. So nine is the completion of a cycle. 10 brings you back to one. When you say nine eleven, what you're doing is skipping the skip back to one. So you hit nine completion and then you jump to 11, which is two. And then you go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, skip 10, jump to 11. Then it goes two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and you're caught in this endless loop. In many ways, this begins, in my mind, to really show how the major events in our world occur. It's almost like being stuck in a broken system in an endless loop. And in our lifetimes, and even into our grandparents' lifetimes, we can see a state of existence where there almost is no time when we aren't at war. And that should tell us all something. Um, is it true, like we see in the book of 1984, where all of a sudden world governments can't get to get along anymore and there's going to be war? Or is it something else? And I really think one of the main things that 1984 is telling us is that it is, in fact, something else. But anyhow, I'll let you keep pushing through the timeline here, Jason. It, it does seem to be something else. So to compare that to real mainstream history, of course, World War II ended and the Cold War began, which lasted past the year 1984. And the general consideration of the ending of the Cold War would be the fall of the Berlin Wall on November 9th, 1989. It just, although there wasn't, wasn't like it just stopped all of a sudden, but that's what is kind of considered, okay, this is where it just started to peter out. Now, this doesn't mean, of course, that there weren't very Orwellian ideals going on in a more covert fashion for decades before this. So instead of an open tyranny like we have in the book, with thought police banging your head uh, for every little thing you do, we have more of an iron fist with a very thin velvet glove, or a veneer of society is a term I came up with years ago. And what is a veneer? It's a, it's a thin coating on top of something else to make it look real nice. But it's a thin veneer because it takes very little to scratch that surface and see the real tyranny that is going on underneath it. That's right. And there are so many damn tells if you want to look at things like the Berlin Wall. As an example, we had Ronald Reagan as a president. He was the first open actor to allowed to behold such a high position. And I've already covered what actors are and how the word actor goes back to the word hypocrite in ancient Greek and how these people in the times before were not fit to hold important positions because they were known to be duplicitous. They were actors. Um, who can forget Pink Floyd doing an episode of their album, The Wall, at the Berlin Wall? Who can forget David Hasselhoff singing on the Berlin Wall? You see, people are easily fooled um, by media, uh, but they should take a little closer look. You see, these things are not exclusive 
events from one another. It's all tied together. And when we begin to understand what media, what acting, what music, what all these forms that reach everyone in the world are for, we begin to get a truer picture. And so it's a good example that you're using here of the Berlin Wall because it fits perfectly with the ideas that are being expressed in the book 1984, in my view. Sure. No, absolutely. Now, before we get on to the individual concepts that we see in the books, to kind of wrap up what we started with here, there's absolutely no doubt with the resources available to us in the here and now that there are groups of individuals pushing the world towards a totalitarian world government. Some people like to use the term New World Order. Uh, earlier on, you heard the term New Order with uh, you know Hitler's regime and all that, but generally a world government that's under the yoke of a small group. And of course, these people speak of it in their writings, we hear it in their speeches, and we see things happening year after year to give away their true intentions when they're talking about peace and all this kind of nonsense. It's their peace of mind because they've got all of us under their thumb. So the old adage that you always hear used, the frog in the boiling pot of water, is really never more true than here. They increase the tyranny little by little, getting everyone accustomed to the next small step, while in many cases completely uh, convincing the masses of how good it, it all is for you. Right. And there's there's no getting away from it. It's just unfortunate the number of people that uh, are, are completely just drooling in front of their TV, unable to see what is so obvious. Um, I could give some examples. I mean, if we want to set aside that in the West, medicine is basically drugs now, for the most part, um, there's your Brave New World crossover. But think of how many foreign nations, maybe 20, 30 years ago, when you went into those nations, all the signs were in the native tongue. How many of them are in English now? This is a push towards one world governance. Um, China on the ascendant, Detroit being totally gutted in the United States, and on the tail of that, all manufacturing that mattered being pushed out towards China or that part of the world. What you see here is an exact one-to-one -one allegory for the coming Orwellian times, and we're already seeing the beginning of it. The question just becomes, how many people listening to shows like this are going to think about it, and how many people are just going to shut their eyes again, say something derisive, and walk off? The fact is, is we are seeing the beginning of Orwell's 1984 being implemented in real time as we speak. And not only that, this video, I guarantee you, will be flagged by Google as inappropriate content. So anyhow, Jason, go ahead, man. All right, so to start breaking down individual points and concepts that we draw out of the book, the first one I think that is the most obvious one to use is how we now use the term Orwellian. And it's the idea that the general well-being uh, of the people is being crushed by a restrictive, authoritarian, and or untruthful government agency or agencies. Right. And the real problem here for me um, is I look at the demographics on Crow 777 Radio, and right now the highest demographic, it shifts, is in the early 40s into the mid-30s. Um, people in their 30s right now can't remember back as far as I can. If you remember what this country was like, say, in the late 60s, early 70s, you would absolutely be able to understand the Orwellian idea if you see where we are now. Um, a lot of it has to do with the digital age, but this is one of the real problems. And this problem is covered ad nauseum in the book Animal Farm which was also attributed to Orwell, I might add, where the animals have their whole existence changed because they can't quite remember what happened a few short years ago. And that allows the powers that be in the book, it's the pigs, um, to completely change reality. But anyhow, back to you, Jason. You know, it's interesting that you say that uh, you're 10 years older than me, but that puts me just old enough to remember what I consider the very tail end of Americana, which was the 1970s. And in the 1970s, at least where I grew up, and I've talked with other, I've spoken with other people about this over the years, you still, like, had good rapport with all of your neighbors, and, you know, the neighbor kids would watch, or excuse me, the neighbors would watch, you know, every each other's kids and things like that. Right. Uh, you know, I, w I could be five years old and on the block and really didn't have to worry about too much. And... That that disappears once you get into the 1980s. They always call it the decade of decadence, and that just seems like a great way to put it because that's when they really s seem to have over-corporatized everything and just started – that's the crackdown. But the distraction was with all the over-corporatization of everything. That's when movies got grandiose and, you know, 
that's what I, when I see the distraction level, like the music industry, for instance, that's when everything got totally boiled down to very singular concepts and just it was just mass distraction. And I think the 70s into the 80s, that's where you see that line where the old America really was just kind of wiped away and the 80s started it all to what we have to come up to what we have today. I think you're right. I think 80s is the decade that made the powers that be. And one example we can look at is hitchhiking. Um, in the 70s, in the 60s, when I was a very young person, um, everyone hitchhiked. As a matter of fact, when I was in high school, um, I hitchhiked to high school a lot because I had got myself on upperclassmen hours. Um, and there, you weren't worried about it. And pe it was just a thing that happened. By the time you get into the 80s, the fear porn has started to ratchet up. And things like hitchhiking are falling by the wayside. So the point I'm trying to make here is back when everyone was hitchhiking, it was like, it doesn't matter who's coming in this car. It's just another person. By the time the 80s get here, the fear porn has been ratcheted up, even the way children live. As a matter of fact, here where I am in Rhode Island now, when I was 12 years old, I had to demonstrate that I could swim well. I had to demonstrate that I could tie the proper knots, and I was allowed to take boats all the way to open ocean, which is many, many miles from where we were at the time, at 12 years old. And I could be gone all day, and nobody thought twice of it. When you think of a child at, of 12 years old doing that now, it would be unheard of. And the reason is, is because people are afraid for their children now. Well, what changed? I'll tell you what changed media changed, the idea of fear porn, the idea that we have to be afraid of all these things in this life. It wasn't the same back in the 60s and 70s. And that really does fuel into what you're going to cover next, which is Big Brother. Right. Well, let's even look at how they have stripped children away from taking on some responsibilities, if you will. You know, you look in the 50s and 60s, children would bring guns to school for gun clubs. And then, you know, they were trusted that, that they could do that without shooting somebody or themselves. Exactly. I can remember bringing pocket knives to school and never thinking twice of it. Um, it. It was not a big issue. I mean, even now you see ads, I guess Antiques Roadshow is coming to Newport, Rhode Island, and they advertise for all you people bring your stuff, but you can't bring any guns, no old guns, no antique guns, no, you know, all this just ridiculous fear porn. And here's the rub. It's because we're all being lowered mentally in this way. You see, the child that I was at age 12, where I was trusted to take a boat out to the open ocean many, many miles from where I was starting from and expected to return safely, we're a million miles away from that now because the mentality of us all has been lowered to a more infantile state. And that's been done through the processes of government, through media, especially through media, um, even considering how children, the shows they watch, where it's always like some ridiculous purple talking dinosaur or a talking animal. When you look at some of the children's shows now, I'll tell you what, if I was raising a child now, there's no way in hell I would ever allow them to watch these infantile talking animal shows. Um, if I had a child that I was responsible for now, I would want a human being an intelligent human being being the teaching tool, not some stupid talking skunk or a purple dinosaur talking in baby talk. Um, it's it's full spectrum. The, the, the kind of mental state in the part of the world I am in now has just dropped. Uh, I mean, it's plummeted from where it used to be in my lifetime. And that's very Brave New Worldish, where they're, they're hitting the, the babies from ground up. With the concepts, you know, just yeah. dumbing down, you know, they're, they're doing it right from the beginning. So now the concepts you're saying really got pushed heavily into in the 80s and especially in the 90s. They're now in their 20s, pushing 30 now. And you see the generation that we have now because they went from that nonsense into this technological age that we have now of always being plugged into a device with your face and your phone. And we see how easy it is for them to keep the society massively distracted. Yeah, it's not just that. Uh, one of the things they've done very successfully is to divide and conquer. Um, how often do you see online where people who don't share the same point of view cannot get along? <coughs> Excuse me. That is a fostered thing. It's no different than YouTube moving away from a star rating system for videos to thumbs up, thumb down. It's the same idea. 
it's making a very materialistic, self-centered society. Um, and our, our stupid political system works in the same way, the red and blue idea. Um, in the 70s, there it was not as at odds as you see it now, where uh, in the community I am, if someone supports Trump and someone else doesn't, those people are almost like mortal enemies. It's ridiculous. And these people can't even grasp the fact that their vote has nothing to do with seating a president. My point here is is that this is the idea of Big Brother, except it's the media. The media is fostering this. And for the media to foster this in an overarching way, it tells you that there's a playbook of some sort. And we have covered Tavistock, and I think 1984, the novel, plays exactly in to this idea. Absolutely. And next concept we want to hit on, of course, is Big Brother, or the phrase that they use, Big Brother is watching you. And that's the name given for the government overlord in the novel. And it's now used as a descriptor for any authoritarian government agency. Uh, Funny enough, it was also used as the name of a reality television program that originated in the UK, where a lot of the more hardcore concepts always seem to get rolled out first, where the contestants in the show are always under watch. Right. And there's an older use that probably most people don't remember. Janis Joplin, who was at the first big music festival and was an FBI agent or a CIA agent. Uh, We've got documentation that the Grateful Dead was. The name of her band was Big Brother and the Holding Company. Um, You can see these ideas reemerging each decade. And way back then, it was maybe a twinkle in someone's eye. But let me tell you something, as we're headed for 2018 here, it's way past twinkle in the eye. We actually see the ideas of Big Brother and the Orwellian overarching ideas coming to bear. Um, in real time now. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there are three classes in Oceania's society. There's the inner party, the outer party, which is uh, Winston's a part of, and then the proles, which is short for proletarians. And it seems that the proles live relatively much freer than the outer party, and even the inner party, really, as they are kept Distracted and well-fed, and even though they comprise 85% of Oceania's population, no thoughts ever rise up in them of uh, revolting or or fighting back or anything like that because they're just kept permanently distracted. And that, to me, is one of the big comparisons to what's going on, especially in Western culture today. Right. And what's ironic about this is, if I remember correctly, Winston gets a diary going at one point. And I think, if I remember correctly, he has the idea that the proletarian could really save the day here. If the proletarian would just rise up in Winston's mind, they could begin to fight against Big Brother, which, by the way, is just a construct. Um, There really is no Big Brother. It's an idea. Um, It's an overarching idea. Nobody's really quite sure who's pulling the, the threads. But the point here is is that Winston makes the mistake of writing in a diary how he's pretty sure the proletarians are going to rise up and save the day at some point. Right. Well, what he says was he starts the diary, by the way, right at the very beginning. That's how we know the uh, April 5th, 1984. That's how the, the whole story opens. And right. he blatantly says that uh, if there's any hope to be had, it lies in the proles, meaning because there's so many of them. And if anyone's going to overthrow the actual party of Big Brother, it would it would be them just rising up against it because there's so many of them. But they they do exactly what's being done now with the whole bread and circuses concept. They, they <laughs> and they they even say this that that the par- party constructs things to keep them distracted. They make sure that they they have enough to eat, which is a number one. Uh, football is mentioned in the book. They they keep them focused on sports. Uh, the music is made specifically by the party. There's no independent artist or anything like that. It's constructed by the party for the people, for the for the general masses to listen to. And there's even at one point uh, a scene in the book where Winston's watching a pro woman humming one of the the tunes out out his window, and he comments on that. So, and, oh, and of course, pornography too. Pornography is put out specifically by the party to help with this distraction and the other character in the book that Winston interacts with which is who is Julia she works for the department that makes pornography for the masses so let's just look at that uh football well we we see that massively don't we in today's society that is one of the biggest distractions especially in, in the United States and football is uh, a concept in Europe and South America like that for soccer but just as equally distracting and and taking up 
minds of people, you know, they're they're obsessed with this stuff. Where if their team loses, they're having a bad day. They can they might have a bad week. Or、uh, the music being made by the、uh, by the party. Well, that really to me sounds like the record label is just pumping out, especially today, this same regurgitated, stripped down nonsense with these terrible droning beats. And whatever concept they want to inject into it is there, you know. And if you're talking about rap music or, or what's considered pop music nowadays, it's got all of that in there. So that's a direct comparison. And while it may not be specifically, literally, the government making it, the record labels are under the yoke of. I shouldn't even put it that way. They're all in bed with each other. They're all different aspects of the overall. Program being pushed, and we know that's true.、Uh, oh, another concept they throw in there is the lottery. You know, everybody is brainwashed into the idea that someone wins the lottery, and they even make fake people up. They even say this right in the novel that、uh, they talk about who wins the lottery, and they put it in the papers and all that. And, and in fact, nobody's ever winning it; they're just taking the proles' money. So all these things,、uh, the pornography. What's the, what really? In fact, society today, especially with the internet,、um, it's the proliferation of pornography. So again, another distraction. So anyway, I kind of went on a, a long ramble there, but you can see the direct comparisons. While it may not be a where, where in the novel it's kind of boiled down to just the government is doing all these things. In the real world, you have different agencies doing these things, but they're all working towards, in my opinion, the same program being run. Well, to me, when we talk about the proles, you're really talking about you and I.、Um, everyone listening to this podcast, most of the people,、uh, could be allegorized one to one as the proles or the proletarians.、Um, they're described as making up roughly 85 percent of Oceania's population. So while we have this idea of 99 percent, which was made up by the powers that be, of course,、um, what's being stated here, in my view, is that if the proletariat or you and me and most of the people listening to this would Just stand up and demand what is right. None of this could go down, and I think there is so much truth to it. It doesn't require some violent revolution. It doesn't require you know you hear see these people talking about arms or fighting or all this nonsense. All it takes is for enough people to stand up, and in this case, the allegory is the proletariat, and say no. You know, I'll say what I want. I'll think what I want. I'll do what I want, and I'm done with your nonsense.、Um, I think that's the real message here. But Jason, we are at the top of the hour. We've got a ton to cover in the second hour.、Um, do you want to add anything before we bring the first hour to a close? Well, to finish that thought off, the the vast majority of quote unquote authoritarian figures are drawn from the real world proles. So. You know, if if everyone literally just stood up and said no, well, that's that's a, that includes the police officers. You know, the only people we may need to worry about is certain military branches. But you're talking about 330 million Americans. If we're just talking about this country standing up and saying no, we're not doing this anymore. So that that's that's the direct comparison for me with the, pro, the proletariat in in 1984 to the real world example. Yeah, I think there, there's no getting away from it. See, basically, it is the frog in boiling water. I mean, right now we do shows saying, "Look what YouTube's doing."、Um, they're saying that this is not suitable content, and therefore they're going to flag it. They won't allow ads to run. And the average person listening says, "Who cares? We don't like ads." But they're missing the point. You see, the ads aren't really paying most of us anything—fifty cents a month or something. I could give a damn if they pulled every ad off every video I ever have. All I will do is ratchet up what I'm publishing. You see, because this is the opening, the the kind of opening foray of where it starts. Behind the shield of corporation, behind the shield of oh, the advertisers made us do this. But you see, you can see where this goes. They're already identifying content, which is freedom of speech. And freedom of expression, as this content is not as good as that content, so there's going to be a distinction drawn here. This is where it starts, you see, but it's cleverly implemented. So the vast majority of the sleeping proletariat or the masses、uh, won't do or say or give a care, and they're missing the damn point. What we are seeing here is the playbook of 1984, of the playbook of Brave New World coming to bear. If you don't want to consider it's true, think about what happens every time you go to the doctor. Now you get drugs. That, for the most part, is Western medicine. Now you get drugs. 
That is the whole storyline and the whole push behind the book Brave New World. How is it that medicine um, could become something like that? We all damn well know, if we're adults, that what we eat, what we drink, what we consume has a direct bearing on our health. So how is it that a chemistry lab is now used to treat the ills of the medical world now, when never is what we eat or what we're consuming talked about? And the reason that's not talked about is because the food supply has gotten so lousy. Even the water has things like fluoride put into it. We're looking at the beginnings of 1984 Orwellian ideas. We are looking at the first visible open pushes of the Brave New World idea. And the whole animal farm thing's been going on for longer than I've been alive. But anyhow, Jason, why don't you run down quickly some of the things we'll hit in the second hour before I close it down? Absolutely. So we're going to tear apart the book and, and bring all these concepts to light and compare Compare and contrast with, with what's really going on today. Concepts like thought crime, the thought police, newspeak, doublethink, room 101 in the Ministry of Love. And what are these doublethink agencies that they have? The Ministry of Truth, the Ministry of Peace, the Ministry of Plenty. What is the concept of the memory hole? All these things that are in the book that uh, are kind of boiled down to very specific pointable objects in the novel where in the real world it just sort of encompasses greater concepts that are just as real and impacting on our daily lives. Right. And we're also going to cover, you know, the the full, the telescreens and all that kind of thing. And the boogeyman, Emmanuel Goldstein, which comes heavily into play. And it's a bit ironic that that would be a Jewish name uh, used in the book 1984. Anyhow, that does bring us to the top of the first hour for episode 69 of Crow 777 Radio podcast. I hope to see you all over at Crow777radio.com for the full two-hour episode. It is available for members, and the forum over there always lights up when we do shows like this. So there it is, man. Cheers. Cheers. 